This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Get Booked is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal, designed by Book Riot. This uh, reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges that are inspired by our annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up passed-over books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a writer range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press and much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quote and an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding and also five book recommendations to help you fulfill it. So you can go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal to get yours. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 161, and we are recording on December 17th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello! Hey! It's my first Get Booked. That's what I was going to say! You've never been on this show before. Oh, and Lola has joined us. Hello, Lola. I forgot to shut my door. Oh, yes. Jasper is here with me, so who knows (laughs) how that's going to go, and for... uh, get booked listeners who don't listen to all the books i am currently residing with a an 11 week old golden retriever puppy yes. <laughs> so. they are very very used to the sounds of lola in the background so dog noises on the show are no new yeah. thing Right now we're in the mid-morning sleepy phase, which is mainly he walks around my office and then dramatically collapses <laughs> on the floor. But it's like he just com- he just falls over. So you may just hear a thud. And if you do, that's the dog just repositioning. I mean, same. Yeah. I really. also just Especially in a dramatically morning. collapse in your house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have a big couch. It's good for that. <laughs> All right. So since you've never been on this show before, what Jen and I usually do is talk about what we're reading so that we don't talk about the weather or chili, which is what we were talking about constantly. Um, so what are you reading right now? I am reading The Best American Travel Writing. It's edited this year by Cheryl Strayed, and it's wonderful. I love The Best American series, and I can never seem to get to as many of them as I want to, at least not you know as release date is rolling around, and release date dictates a lot of my reading because that's how all the books is structured. Um, so I missed this one when it came out earlier this fall, but I've been waiting for the holiday break to show up so that I can read whatever I want. Um, and it's terrific so far. Elliot Ackerman is is the first uh, writer in the uh, anthology, and he writes about returning to Fallujah 10 years after having been there as a soldier. Um, There is a wonderful piece by a woman who um, had had a falling out with her mother when her parents divorced, and they reconnect when her mom sort of like has the opposite of a midlife crisis and finds herself and starts traveling and sending the daughter postcards from all over the world, and they gain this new understanding of each other. It just, it does all the things I want an anthology to do, which is help me revisit voices that I love and introduce me to new voices. And it really captures, I think, the spirit of what good travel writing does, which is show you something about yourself and about the world through the lens of someone else's very particular experience. So I am really digging it. Oh, nice. And, and mm-hmm. Cheryl. 
Oh, yeah. And Cheryl, she writes a great introductory essay about, you know, how she picked these pieces and what she was looking for. Like, I have not read um, the anthology of travel writing for a couple of years, but it can often be like a little bit lighter or a little bit more touristy. And she applies a broader uh, definition of travel. You know, it's this is not a bunch of pieces about like, I went to Fiji and stayed in an overwater villa and thought about my life and did yoga every day, which like, that's great too. Um, but there's a lot of sort of a broadly, like, what is it when you leave home and go somewhere that is not your home? And what does that, what kind of experiences do we have when we do that? Yeah. What about you? I am reading Rest by Alex Sujun Kimpeng. I'm doing, I'm on this like weird kick of reading a bunch of books about the ways our habits affect our brains. Like I'm reading Ooh. books about how food affects your brain and, and sleeping. And um, so I picked this one up, Rest, and it's about the neurology of not sleeping, but the neurology of like taking a vacation and mm. what happens when you aren't working, when you're like staring off into space. If you've read Bored and Brilliant, I think a lot of this will sound kind of familiar to you. Um, what happens when you're like not actively trying to solve a puzzle or actively trying to solve a problem or think of some creative idea like when you just check out but it goes deeper than that. It's also about like when you take time off from work, what is the ideal vacation length before your brain starts to be like, and I'm done <laughs> and like automatically starts solving problems again, even though you are still on the beach and like what happens with that restlessness. And it's just really interesting. And it's also very critical of um, our work culture right now of like the more you work, the better an employee you are, even though science has shown the opposite to be true, especially if you work in a creative industry where the more time you're sitting at your desk doing tasks and rote crap, the, the less time your brain has to run the, you know, the subroutines it needs to run to come up with new ideas. So really interesting stuff about your brain. Yeah, you're speaking my love language. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. I got it from the library. Um, okay, so how the show works. Like I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So you can email us your reading recommendation to getbookedatbookguide.com or if you want to drop it in uh, the forum, there's a form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Uh, if you can ask for reading recs for yourself, for a gift, for your book club, does not matter. If your request is time sensitive, then please note that in the subject line of the email or if you're using the form, put it at the beginning of the question in big, bold letters so we can answer you on time. We might email you back uh, if your question is time sensitive and we're not going to get to it uh, or if we have already answered it on the show before. Uh, we have one piece of feedback from Jen, who is one of our insiders, for the person on the last show who wanted a wintry themed book. And Jen recommends The Frozen Thames by Helen Humphreys. It's short, full of a bunch of stories and vignettes inspired by each year that the Thames the river in England, uh, froze over enough to hold a frost fair. All of them are beautiful in their own way. It's historical and very, very cold. A very winter book. <laughs> she says this in capital letters. All right. I'm going to read our first question, tell you about our first sponsor, and then we will get going. Um, our first question is from Caroline, who says, I'm writing because my brother is a 22-year-old Marine, and we recently had a number of fights about race, gender, and social justice. Basically, he doesn't believe that racism is real, and he also believes a lot of wild evolutionary psychology stuff about the differences between men and women. I'm a queer, white, cis woman in a relationship with a woman of color, and he thinks all of my political beliefs are too radical to take seriously. So I'm looking for a book that might help get through to him. I'm sick of these conversations, but I don't want to give up without making some reading recommendations. Uh, in an ideal world, I could give him the new Jim Crow, but he won't read them. He's not a huge reader, but he's working his way through the Commandant's professional reading list, which is recommended readings for Marines. Um, let's see. He's into self-improvement stuff. Nonfiction is preferable. Would be great if it had a military connection. And she says, uh, should be by an author with some kind of credentials that resonate with him, i.e. someone who isn't a vocal radical feminist. Okay. <laughs> 
So he's not listening to this show on the regular. Probably no. I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah. We get the, we get versions of this question probably like, like once a month at least mm-hmm. from people who are like, this man doesn't listen to me. Yeah. So let me. We got a bunch of these on the holiday recommendation request mm-hmm. show on the Book Riot podcast too. I get it. I get it. Okay. So before we get to that, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is uh, Mira Books and Hunting Annabelle by Wendy Hurd, which is a, pa- a chilling page turning thriller set in the 80s. So if you want a nostalgia buzz, you can go um, go get that. It's about a man named Sean who has served three years in a psychiatric prison for murder. He is determined to stay away from temptation, but he can't resist Annabelle, who is beautiful and confident and who alone can see past the monster to who he is inside and wants to be. But then Anna disappears. And Sean knows that she's been kidnapped because he witnessed it. But the police, of course, think that he himself is at the center of the crime. And he has had he has like lost time before his illness has caused him to lose time before so it's possible that he just doesn't remember hurting this person who he really cares about so to save her he has to confront his own demons and also at the same time hunt down a person who has harmed somebody he likes so lots of sociopathy on sociopathy it sounds like so that is (laughs) hunting annabelle by wendy hurd thank you for sponsoring the show all right, I'm just going to keep talking. So, re-summing up the question, a Christmas book for a Marine who doesn't like feminism. Um, I picked The Line Becomes a River by Francisco Cantu. This book came out this year, and I picked this book because it is about the border, um, which is, of course, a big social justice and racial uh, issue in the news right now. But Cantu was... it is not anymore, was a border patrol agent. So he wasn't in the military, but he was, you know, wearing a uniform and he was part of this uh, organization and structure. So I think that that will resonate with your brother a little bit. Um, He, Francisco, is from um, the Southwest. He was born and raised in the Southwest. His mother is Mexican. um, And he, you know, his whole life was spent at this border and watching what happens uh, when border patrol comes through. Um, So he goes to college and studies like international relations, I think, but realizes that like that's not giving him an accurate picture of what's happening at the border. So he joins Border Patrol to like get an idea of what is actually going on. And of course, he gets an idea of what it's really like. Um, But the presentation is not like, I secretly joined this organization to reveal the evil, you know, like it's very much a fact finding mission. Um, And also he is he's not uncritical of border control. He's very critical of border control, but he acknowledges the humanity of the people who work there. And the people who work there are mostly like, you know, coming from really lower middle class backgrounds, just needed a job, like can't find a better job, just trying to feed their families. But of course, some of them are power hungry and all that. So he's very much recognizing that these are just people who have been given a gun and a lot of authority and the ways in which that can really warp your humanity. So he stays in Border Patrol for a while and decides he can't deal with it anymore. So he takes like a civilian job. But then a friend of his who is an immigrant who's here illegally goes back to Mexico to visit his dying mother and can't can't get back in the country. And so Cantu goes back to Border Patrol to his friends who are still in the um, in that organization to try to figure out what happened to him. So it's not ignoring the social justice or the racial factors, um, but a point of view from inside the organization I think will be much more palatable to somebody who is um, not opposed to, but like not open to hearing other sides of that story. So that's The Line Becomes a River by Francisco Cantu. All right. I had 
I had a really hard time, first of all, picking like one book for each of these people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I'm going to I'm gonna try not to cheat on all of them. But the very first thing that I thought of for this person is What It Is Like to Go to War by Carl Marlantes, who was a Vietnam veteran and um, first was the author of Matterhorn, which is a really incredible novel about the Vietnam War. Um, he wrote this a year or two after that. It's a small book, so that's a point in its favor because... This person is not a big reader. Um, Marlentes is like the doodliest post-military dude, really speaks from a place of authority and is incredibly thoughtful. And the book addresses um, what happens, like what the experiences of war are like, um, especially psychologically and emotionally, and what happens when soldiers come home and essentially all of the ways that we are failing our military uh, when they return from the experience of war and takes that essentially as a social justice issue of um, this is political and it is personal. And here are the things that civilians should understand about military experiences. And so he'd probably feel very seen by this. And it may be a, wee, a way into thinking about like mental health as a social justice issue, that kind of thing. Um, but I noticed that that was listed on the recommended reading list for Marines that um is what Caroline, yes, that Caroline linked us to with the question. So maybe he's already read it or it's already on his radar. So my other pick is Between the World and Me by Tanahasi Coates. And I am straight up stealing this recommendation from Jeff O'Neill, mm-hmm. who offered it in a similar question on one of the episodes of the Book Riot <laughs> show um, this holiday season. Coates is a black man. The book is set up as a letter to his young son. And so it is, it's about race. It's about what it is to live in a black body in contemporary America and to know that your experience has roots in slavery um, and in that the American story is the story of racism, that those things are inextricable from each other. Um, But because it's so personal, because it's grounded in one man talking to his son, and there's that father-son dynamic that a lot of male readers seem to respond to, it doesn't feel, I think, like getting handed a polemic or a, you know, a radical feminist theory. Like it seems to me that you want to stay away from any kind of like social theory or feminist theory for this person and get them like you can connect to the humanity of what Coates is saying. So I would recommend that Between the World and Me by ta Coates. Okay. <laughs> I get to read the next you question. Do. This is from Josh, who is looking for a good book for his stepmom. He only sees her once a year for Christmas and only knows two things about her. She's Jewish and is a hippie. Can we recommend a book that has those two things? Thank you. It looks like I picked one aspect of that and you picked the other aspect of that. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, I will go. Um, so I picked, okay. I kind of latched onto the she's Jewish <laughs> part. Mm-hmm. And I picked The Book of Separation by Tova Mervis. <sighs> So I love this memoir so much. Tova was born into a really tight-knit, orthodox Jewish family and community and was raised that way and stayed in that community as an adult. She was married to an orthodox Jewish man and had a few children. Um, But she starts to doubt her faith and more specifically, um, not that there is a God necessarily, but to doubt the way that her particular faith is run and the way that the Orthodox community functions, especially when it comes to women um, and their treatment. So she tries to fit in, tries to fit in, tries to like put, you know, silence herself and it's just not working. So when she turns 40, she decides to leave. So she gets a divorce um, and goes off into the great wide world no longer being Orthodox, Uh, still being Jewish, but no longer being Orthodox. She starts dating a doctor who isn't Orthodox. And the book is just about her experience of coming out of that world 
um, which is very insular and has a lot of rules into not that world um, and the difference, the stark difference, um, and what happens to a woman in specifically the Orthodox Jewish communities when they decide to leave. Uh, and, you know, like how hard it is to keep your children um, and the like what the divorce process is like um, and, you know, being rejected essentially by every person who is supposed to care about you. Um, and so it's it's not just about the like nitty gritty experience of getting a divorce when you're in a really tight knit and conservative and orthodox religious community, but also about what happens after and like rebuilding her sense of self um, and rebuilding her sense of her faith and what it means to express her faith in a new way that doesn't feel as restrictive to her and that is more believable to her. Um, and, you know, in reading this, I when I got divorced, I came out of a really... Um, not tight knit, but like a, an evangelical background. And a lot of it kind of rang true, like the ways in which divorce is completely blamed on the woman, um, the issues that you have with your church and, and your kids. And like, I, I related a lot to this book, even though I come from a completely different background uh, than she does. But that's The Book of Separation by Tova Mervis. Man, that was so good. I really loved that one. I picked, I latched onto the hippie part uh, of this question and I picked Arcadia by Lauren Groff, which is not like mainstream hippie, I guess, <laughs> but is a wonderful novel. It came out in 2012. So if you've been reading, you know, more recent Lauren Groff of Fates and Furies and Florida, um, this, I think all of her writing is really spectacular and you would do well to go back to Arcadia if you missed it. It's set in um, Western New York. York in the 1970s on a commune. Uh, and the commune, you know, as most communes are, is founded on this like utopian ideal of um, people just joining together to do the labor and live off the land and, you know, not be subject to mainstream society. But of course, it's also much more complicated than that. And there are tangly romantic uh, situations that occur and we're getting um, particularly the main character uh, and his mother growing up uh, on this commune. It's been years since I read it, but I remember just being so stunned by Lauren Groff's sentences and the insight that she gives to these characters. But also, you know, a story on a hippie commune is the kind of thing that is really easy to just resort to like stereotypes or resort to caricature. And she's uh, Groff does such a nuanced job with, you know, every situation and every character that there's like this fullness and this humanity to them where you, you know, you hate the charismatic, like cult leadery kind of guy who starts the commune and, you know, gets people to do really ill-advised things. But then you also understand where he's coming from. You understand why people are so persuaded by him and interested in keeping him happy. Um, it's, you know, just really, it does the things that great literary fiction is supposed to do. And it's, I thought, a really fun read. Um, so that's a, a slightly different take on the the hippie request there. But I think that would be it's I mean, it's hard to do better than Lauren Groff, really. Um, so that's Arcadia by Lauren Groff. All right. Question three is from Nikila, who says I'm between jobs at the moment and have been considering a career switch. I'm looking for any book recommendation that has similar situation in them, something that can maybe inspire me, make me laugh or just feel better in general. Alrighty, I picked a romance, because that'll make you feel mm. better. Hey-oh. <laughs> um, and it is Close Enough to Touch by Victoria Dahl, who I first 
was introduced to Victoria's Regency, or are they Victorian? I don't know, historical, historical romances. But this one is contemporary, and I really, really liked it. I'm not usually a contemporary romance reader, but this one was great. Um, and the main character's name is Grace, and she's a makeup artist living in Hollywood. But her life has, like, fallen apart. She is unemployed, can't find a new job. Her boyfriend, I think, kicks her out, or they break up, and it's terrible. She's got nowhere to go. Um, and then she finds a free place to sit to stay in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, with her great aunt who owns, you know, this building. So she's going to stay there for a while, figure out what she wants to do, uh, maybe do a career change, maybe go back to school. She doesn't really know. So she gets there uh, to this tiny, you know, town in Jackson, Jackson, well, Jackson Hole's tiny seasonally, but it's tiny when she gets there. Mm -hmm. And she meets, of course, a handsome local cowboy named Cole, who has had his own experience with um, Hollywood that did not go well a few years before he meets Grace. Uh, and he has decided that all things big city, all things LA, all things movie industry are evil and bad. So he automatically does not like this woman. And to be fair, Grace is a terrible person. <laughs> like she's, she's not like morally or ethically bad. She's just grumpy. Like she's very aggressive. <laughs> she is, you know, Spiky hair, big city in Wyoming, judging everyone and everything. Um, and they just rub each other the wrong way. So it becomes this, like, enemies to lovers kind of story. And they've got to figure out what to do with the fact that, like, they fundamentally disagree with each other's life choices. <laughs> like, living in the middle of Wyoming is dumb. Well, living in Hollywood is dumb. And so they have to, you know, if, if they're going to make this work, they have to figure that out. And at the same time, Grace is figuring out what to do with her life. But the thing that, the reason why I picked this is because while she's doing that, like, Deciding if she still wants to stay a makeup artist or figuring her career out, it almost takes a, not a back burner, but it doesn't, she realizes that she can become happy even if she's not doing the job she thinks she quote unquote should be doing. So I think there's a lot here that will kind of comfort you in this transition period. So that's Close Enough to Touch by Victoria Dahl. All right. I picked Chemistry by Wakey Wong, which was one of my favorite books of 2018. It's out, or sorry, in 2017. It's out in paperback this year. Um, the This is a really quiet, interesting novel. It's also short. I, I remember reading it in one sitting. Uh, the narrator is a woman in her, I believe, late 20s, maybe early 30s. She's finishing her PhD in chemistry, or she is supposed to be, and she's waiting for her boyfriend to propose to her, or he has proposed to her. They've just gotten engaged. And so she is supposed to be like thrilled that everything in her life is going well. Um, she, This main character is Chinese and her parents are um, very invested in this marriage and also in the career that she's going to have. But she is a deeply ambivalent about whether she wants to be a chemist and whether she actually wants to marry this guy. And if she doesn't want to be a chemist and she doesn't want to marry this guy, what does she want to do with her life? And will somebody love her? Does she even care about romance? Like, what is that supposed to even look like? What would it look like to be with someone that she was excited by? What would it look like to have a career that she was excited by? And she sort of falls into these questions like very reluctantly. She doesn't want to admit that she's unhappy, um, that this, all these things that she's supposed to be stoked about are not doing it for her. Um, but she does. And because the, like, the writing is really restrained. If you read um, Department of Speculation by Jenny Awful, the writing reminded me of that. Um, like It's not restrained as artifice. It's just like 
there is not a lot of flair happening in the writing, which makes the feeling of it come across. Like there's not a lot of emotion on the page, but it comes through. Um, it's really remarkably done, especially for a debut novel. Like I could not believe that this was someone's first book. Um, it's really quite an achievement, I think. Um, but she, you know, lets her life go off course. And it's not like, a, it's not one of those mindfully chosen, like, I will go off, you know, the the other path and see what happens and be brave. It's very like, oh, crap, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Um, which is so like, it feels it felt so real. Like, this is the way that life feels most of the time is, uh oh, <laughs> like this isn't going the way that I wanted it to. Uh, and the character sort of feels her way through that and really wrestles with these big questions about love and family and career and identity in a way that um, is really lovely and I think easy to see something about your own experience in. So that's Chemistry by Wakey Wong. And the next question is me. This is from an anonymous listener. Uh, they've recently finished watching the TV show Justified and loved it, um, has read a few YA books lately that would be called Westerns, and is really craving a book that will give them what they loved from the Justified TV show. Moral gray areas, complicated relationships, prickly characters, law enforcement versus criminals, with people you root for on both sides of the law, and sharp, witty dialogue, preferably a female main character and a Western feel not big on romance, um, doesn't have a preference between YA or adult, um, and is fine with a little violence. And they did note for us that the TV show Justified is based on an Elmore Leonard short story about the character Raylan Givens. And they've read some of the Elmore Leonard books, but that did not quite scratch the itch. So Amanda. Alrighty. I have the perfect book for you. Hey, I love when that happens. And it is Hearsay <laughs> by Melissa Lenhart, which is a new book. It actually just came out in October. Uh, and this is a Western um, about a woman named Maggie and her friend Hattie. And they're all female bank robbing gang <laughs> in the American <laughs> Perfect. West. Perfect. I know it's amazing. Um, so uh, Margaret, well, her, her name is Margaret, but they call her Maggie in the book. Um, Margaret and Hattie live on a ranch that she inherits, that Margaret inherits after her husband dies. Uh, and they're trying to, like, keep it going. But um, a, a local, like, really awful, greedy cattleman runs them off it um, after Margaret refuses to marry him. So now they have nowhere to go and nothing to do. Hattie is black. They're, of course, both women. And this is America in, you know, the 1800s. So their options are get married, join a brothel... Question mark? So they do the question mark thing and they form a small, you know, like found family gang and they pull off a series of heists. Um, the way that the book presents this, though, is that newspapers refuse to talk about a female gang because they don't want to, you know, give women ideas. So they their like exploits are all accredited to various and sundry male gangs in the West. And the male, the male gangs both love it because notoriety, but hate it because attention from the police. Um, so they, the, the Margaret and Hattie have to, um, you know, stay alive, avoid the cops and also get a little bit of revenge for no one recognizing the fact that, you know, they did these things. They pulled off all these heights, heists, um, and evaded the law and managed to keep themselves alive. And so it's a very interesting, like, why not just keep robbing the banks? Like, you don't need to make everybody recognize that it was you because then you're going to end up hanged, which is the opposite of 
surviving. <laughs> um, so you, you don't really know who to root for because you want them, you know, this like badass female gang in the West, like you want them to win, but you also want them to hush, which feels very awkward because, you know, as a feminist in 2018, I would never want a woman to hush, but like you're going to get caught. I don't know. It's very, there's conflict, lots of conflict, um, definitely moral gray areas. You don't like any of the cops in this book, though, I'm sad to say, but you're definitely rooting for people on the wrong side of the law. So that's Hearsay by Melissa Lenhardt. All right. I had no idea where to go with this. So I went to the Book Riot contributors and Jamie Canavase, who's one of our contributing editors, recommended She Rides Shotgun, which is a novel by Jordan Harper. Um, and I'm just going to read you some highlights from the synopsis. It's a propulsive, gritty novel about a girl marked for death who must fight and steal to stay alive, learning from the most frightening man she knows – her father. Uh, the main character is 11-year-old Polly McCluskey. She is shy. She's too old for the teddy bear she carries with her everywhere. And then she is unexpectedly reunited with her dad, who's fresh out of jail, and he's driving a stolen car. So he's, you know... Already on the right mm -hmm. path there. Um, he takes her from the front of her school into a world of robbery, violence, and the constant threat of death, and he does it to save her life. He made some enemies in prison. Um, a gang called Aryan Steel has put out a bounty on his head, and they're counting on its members to finish him off. They've already murdered Polly's mom, and Polly is their next target. So Polly and her dad like hit the road, basically, in a life of crime, but to support themselves while they are trying to Evade the Aryan steel that are trying to kill them. Uh, it says it's a gripping, emotionally wrenching novel that upends even our most long held expectations about heroes, villains, and victims. And um, Jamie has just, I think, pitch perfect sense for suspense and mystery thrillers. This was an Edgar Award winner for Best Debut Novel this year. It has won um, several other awards. It was also named a Best Book of 2017 um, by multiple publications. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, and definitely that moral gray area, who do you root for, um, kind of take there with a female main character who's also a kid here. Uh, so that's She Rides Shotgun by Jordan Harper. All right. I think it's me. Yep. We're going to talk about it our second you. sponsor, which sounds amazing. It's uh, Dirty Little Secret by Jennifer Ryan. And this is a romance novel. And y'all, this premise is so good. The brothels. I don't know why there are so many brothels on this show today, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> John Cordero is the hero. He was groomed by his stepson, Noah, to take over his Montana ranch one day. But John unexpectedly dies and leaves half the ranch to Roxy, his daughter Noah never knew about. Inheriting a ranch from her estranged father means that Roxy now has to share a home with uh, Noah, who is infuriating to her, and they don't get along very well. Uh, but the secrets don't. And there, John also owned the notorious Wild Rose Ranch, which was a brothel in Nevada where Roxy grew up and made it part of her inheritance. So their really strictly business relationship starts to turn into more than that. And Roxy wonders, you know, what's going to happen when Noah finds out that she owns a brothel <laughs> where she was raised. Um, and also has really great relationships with the women who still live there. And this is part of the Wild Rose Ranch series. And each book in the series follows one of a, one of three young women who were raised in that brothel, but who don't let their, you know, unusual kind of childhood situation define who they are going to be. So I think that sounds amazing. So that's Dirty Little Secrets <laughs> by Jennifer. Dirty Little Secret, excuse me, singular secret, just one. That secret is a brothel by Jennifer Ryan. <laughs> That secret. I mean, if you're going to have one secret, a brothel. Owning a, a brothel is like hardcore <laughs> the secret to have. 
All right. Question five is from Julie, who says, I was listening to the most recent Get Booked and a question one about a woman going through a painful and complicated separation, needing a sweet, hopeful love story. I am unfortunately in the exact same situation. Um, I don't enjoy Kate Morton's books or historical fiction as a rule, which is what the original questioner was asking for. Do you have any other recommendations for this request? I've never read a romance novel, but I'm open to trying one. I recently read One Day in December, and that's just the kind of book I'm looking for, I think. Okay, I'm going to keep going. I picked The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland, which I have recommended a few times on the show, and I'm not sure if I'm over our limit, but it's the end of the year and the last show of the year, so I don't care. I'm going to cheat because I think it's perfect. <laughs> um, this is... Oh, hi, Lola. Go lay down. Uh, this book is present day, and it has romance in it, but it is not necessarily a romance novel, which I think is a nice balance to strike for somebody who is coming out of a relationship. Um, the main character's name is Love Day. Love Day Cardu, which is just the most British... That is a name. The most British of names. Love Day, Love Day, Cardew. Um, she works in the Lost for Words bookshop and is very much a reader. She's got like all of the first lines of her favorite books tattooed on her. Um, and she's cranky, <laughs> as most of my favorite characters are. She's very cranky. She doesn't um, have a lot of friends. She doesn't have romantic relationships, really. She is really close with the owner, the owner of this bookstore who hired her when she's 15, and she's now, I think, in her early 20s. Um, and the owner of the bookstore is an excellent secondary character. He reminds me of kind of what I imagine Theodore Roosevelt to be like, like world Ooh. traveler, probably shot an elephant at some point of his life, but you kind of, but you don't hate him for it somehow, like that kind of person. I love a Teddy Roosevelt cameo. Right? It's just super weird. Like, he definitely has walrus mustaches. That's never mentioned in the book, but he's just the sort of guy. <laughs> but you just know. Yes, who has walrus mustaches. Um, but Love a Day, you can tell there's, like, something dark in her past. She's very socially awkward and doesn't necessarily know how to um, navigate crowds or... Uh, you know, norm, normal, quote unquote, kind of social interactions. I've been pitching this book as, um, oh gosh, now I can't remember the name of it. What was that like really big? It was shortlisted for the, was it the Booker? Whatever. I Oh gosh, this is going to drive me nuts. Everybody loved it and I hated it so much. It was about that really cranky woman who was in foster care and had a deep, dark secret. Eleanor... Oh, um, Eleanor Oliphant is completely yes, fine yes. or something like that? It's, the way that I've been pitching that is this book is... Eleanor, if El, you know, Eleanor Oliphant, uh, but in a bookstore and less annoying because I really didn't like that book, I'm just going to say. But I really like this one. So she has a lot of trauma um, and is navigating her life. But then some suspicious packages start showing up at the bookstore where she works that are very much from her childhood. Like the cookbook her mother used to own with the notes still in it. A book of, you know, a childhood book that's out of print that her mom used to read to her um, that she's never seen before. These packages start showing up. And at the same time, a local poet starts expressing some interest in her. So she's got, like, is this poet dude somehow, like, knows about my past and is sending me these packages? Because that's weird. But I like him, and it doesn't seem like that. What's ha that's what's happening. Did someone from my family find me? And then you are slowly finding out why that would be a problem for her. Um, so you've got this, like, mysterious past, this really gritty, kind of dark, snappy, with a heart of gold main character, and uh, a romance with a poet, and a bookstore. So I think this is a good pick for you. So that's The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butland. Related to the bookshop thing, I'm going to cheat again because I haven't cheated since the first question. <laughs> um, if you have not read the, what is, I can't remember the whole title now. It's The Something Life of A.J. Fickery. Oh, well, now I'm not going to be able to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. My notes just say A.J. Fickery. Mm -hmm. um, that is a really sweet sort of later in life story that has a romance built into it, but the book is not a romance and it also has lovely bookshop elements. So that's worth 
checking out. Um, my pick is The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory, which is the closest thing to a rom-com I have ever read. Like, it just felt like going to see a great rom-com movie. Um, it is set in LA. It's a contemporary, like, this is a romance, but it's not, it doesn't feel like sitting down to read a romance novel. Um, it really felt like a great rom-com movie to me. So it's set in LA. The main character is a fancy lawyer. She works in the mayor's office and she has been single for a little while. She um, just got a big promotion. She's meeting up with her sister to celebrate and she gets in the elevator at this fancy hotel and the elevator uh, gets stuck. And also in the elevator is, surprise, a really hot guy. <laughs> and <laughs> since she is meeting her sister to celebrate, she has a bottle of champagne or Prosecco or, you know, something bubbly and delicious in her purse. And she has snacks because all great women carry snacks in their purse. Hmm. And so while they're stuck in the elevator, they eventually start in on her snacks and then they start flirting. And then it comes out that this guy is in town to be the best man in his best friend's wedding. And by the way, his best friend is marrying his ex. Mm. So this is a complicated situation for him. And after they have like spent some time in the elevator getting to know each other, as they're getting out finally, um, the guy sort of, well, very spontaneously is like, hey, will you be my date to the wedding this weekend? Uh, so she agrees because why not? And sort of in that spirit of like, why not? They She accompanies him to the rehearsal dinner and then she accompanies him to the wedding. And of course, because it's a rom-com, they fall for each other. Uh, but there are complexities. These characters are both like, if you were into what I call competence porn, mm. like both of the characters are very capable. They're good at their jobs. There's a lot on the page about their work, especially about her work and about how important her job is to her, how good at it she is. And the characters talk to each other about what their work means to them. Like, it's just nice to see people who are like functioning and healthy and are just sort of trying to work through their stuff like everybody else is, figuring out if they can be together or not. Like her previous boyfriend was also a doctor um, like this guy is. And so may she doesn't trust doctors. So she has to figure out, you know, what to make of that. And can she get with this guy or not? Um, it's just funny. And the sex scenes are steamy. And it's very likable. The dialogue is completely believable and fun. Um, it was just a really fun read. I read this one on a flight. And I remember being like, this was a perfect travel book. Um, but just like Jasmine Guillory for president, I think. And if you're looking for real people experiencing a love story that's not like it's it's not schmoopy um and it's really really funny and fun so that's the wedding date by jasmine guillory the storied life of aj mm -hmm. fickery <laughs> i googled yes, it while you were I talking saw you there in the notes <laughs> thank you i was like this some he has yep. a life i don't know um, the next question comes to us from cassidy um she's looking for nonfiction recommendations for her boyfriend he typically reads sci-fi fantasy and thrillers, but recently commented how he doesn't know much about nonfiction and has always found them rather dry. He loves Murakami, Patrick Rothfuss, Brandon Sanderson. So she's looking for nonfiction books that read more in that flavor. She recently gave him Martha Wells's Murderbot book, and he loved that. He's interested in food and distilling and psychology. So those topics might be helpful. And it looks like we both jumped right onto the food. food yeah, that, that makes this. sense. That makes sense. Yep. Um, I picked Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. May he rest forever in peace. God, mm. I miss him so much. I'm probably going to cry while you do okay. this. Okay. So just carry on. Um, you know, there's not... I don't, I don't even know where to begin to describe Kitchen Confidential. So I will just say that this is a memoir. I think it was his first book. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. about... go 
getting into the New York uh, restaurant scene and how he kind of climbed that ladder from working, I think, in the back of a, wasn't it? Like, it was like the back of a terrible seafood restaurant. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. It's like some terrible seafood In like shack. Coney Island or something or disgusting like that where he just has to fry crap all day. Um, from that to being, you know, a world-renowned chef with his own restaurants as an adult. And then, of course, he had several travel shows that were about food. No reservations. And I'm saying past tense. I don't know if you're, you or your boyfriend are unfamiliar with him. He died this year. Um, and he w- was very much kind of like the punk rock, uh, cooking, back of the house, drugs, sex, rock and roll kind of chef guy um, that can easily be super toxic and annoying and obnoxious. And when I went into this book, which was recommended to me by uh, my old boss when I worked at the bookstore in Richmond, uh, Kelly, um, I was very much like, I'm going to hate this guy. Like, I don't care. There's nothing interesting about, like, white dudes being provocative. That's not, that is not interesting. <laughs> they just, they're just provocative in the same ways over and over and over again. Um, but I loved him so much because Anthony Bourdain does this fantastic magic of both giving no craps and giving all the right mm-hmm. craps. Like, he yeah. does not care about anything that is irrelevant or pretentious or nonsensical, but he deeply cares about food and like bringing people together and presenting food respectfully, which if you've watched any of his travel shows, which are way different from the travel food shows um, that I think most male hosts kind of have, he's so respectful of the things that people want to eat. Um, And he's just, he just nails this really non-toxic masculinity, which Mm -hmm. I loved so much um, and this is his, yeah, his first memoir that it's just, it's full of really ridiculous things of like, that's not food safety. What are you doing? Or like, don't, don't snort <laughs> cocaine off the back of that, you know, freezer. Um, but it's, it's also really heartfelt and deeply, deely, I don't know, emotional, weirdly about like yeah. chicken. <laughs> <laughs> There's such a swagger mm-hmm. to his writing and there was such a swagger to the way that he was in the world, but, um, I remember that that he had a one word Twitter bio and it was enthusiast. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is just the perfect encapsulation of the way that Bourdain was in the world, that he really did care about food and culture and what food means to people. Um, But it's so much fun to read. And so if your um, boyfriend that you're looking for is, you know, into these kind of like manly Mm -hmm. stories, it doesn't really get any manlier than the way Bourdain was. No. Um, But you're right, in a totally non-toxic way. Um, As an update, I think that Edward Lee is kind of the heir to the Bourdain uh, food writing throne. And I picked Buttermilk Graffiti by Edward Lee, which I have been recommending far and wide this year. Like, if you know me in real life, you're probably getting a copy of this for Christmas. (laughs) Um, It's a look at what it, it, what melting pot cuisine means in America now, and and really, what does it mean that this country is intended to be a melting pot, and how that gets expressed through food and cooking? So, what happens when people immigrate to the U.S. from another country? They bring their traditions and their food culture with them, but ingredients are different. Um, you know, different vegetables and fruits are available here than what they're used to. How do they adapt cultural traditions into something that inevitably becomes changed by being in America? How do you assimilate enough to be in American culture while also holding on to food traditions? And really, like, what does that melting pot thing look like? Um, every chapter is an essay about a different place in the United States that he visits. The book is basically like you go on a road trip through a American food with Edward Lee. And he's looking at like 
Uh, he goes to Dearborn, Michigan, which I believe has the largest Muslim population per capita um, in the United States. And he goes there during Ramadan and observes the fast and then goes to break his fast in the evenings um, with Muslim people eating the food of their culture and sort of figuring out like what does food and hunger and fasting and these particular kinds of food, like what does this mean to these people? Um, He goes to a small town in West Virginia, like deep in Appalachia and is eating a Lebanese food that has been there for so long because of immigration that the people there don't even think of it as, you know, quote unquote, ethnic food anymore. It's just this Lebanese food that's like on the menu alongside hamburgers and hot dogs and all of their local diners. Um, there's, uh, oh, it's like a cultured butter situation that someone brings over from Pakistan and is trying to, I think it's Pakistan, um, and is trying to make in her mother's house in New Jersey. And he's learning about, you know, like the history of this and how you can't really make the same thing in the United States. Every, like, you want to eat every meal in this book and you want to meet every person that Edward Lee meets because in the same way that Bourdain was passionate about understanding food and culture. Edward Lee is so interested. He's like so interested and so curious. And I find that to be something that like a person who is deeply into the thing that they're working on, like there is nothing more appealing than that. And it really comes across in his writing, which is also really lovely. Like Bourdain was a surprisingly good writer. Edward Lee is a surprisingly good writer. And I I say surprising, like, because that's just not the thing we're expecting from people who have spent their lives cooking, you know, and focusing on that craft. Um, But there is so there are like lovely sentences that you're like, oh, I just didn't see this coming that like the content is so great and fascinating but also the writing is really really beautiful it will make you want to travel so much maybe um, your boyfriend wants to go on a road trip um and you can listen to like some murakami audiobooks while you go visit all these places that edward lee writes about but that it's buttermilk graffiti by edward lee Mm, yes Mm -hmm. i think anthony bourdain is my sexual orientation Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I've just decided. <laughs> All right. Last question. It's from I Molly. second that <laughs> um, Molly says, I've been filling out my to-read list. I'm at a loss for books to fill a certain category that I've been craving. What I'm look- really looking for are books about platonic relationships that are as strong as most romances. I'm not opposed to romance, but I'd like a few suggestions where romantic love is not the focus, and instead the plot centers around fan- found family friendships and best friend as soulmate stories. All right. I have a nonfiction pick for you. Oh, and so does Rebecca. This was a hard yeah, one. Yeah, this one's tough. <laughs> um, but I, for some reason, my brain went to, like, male-female platonic relationships, which is especially hard mm. to find. But I did. I did find one. I love this book so much. It's Lab Girl by Hope Jaren, um, oh, yes. which is a memoir um, about a girl who works in a lab, as you can imagine from the title. She's a scientist. Hope Jaren is a scientist. And it's a memoir about how she came to love science growing up in rural Minnesota, um, going through college um, and working in, like, a pharmacy and a hospital. And eventually moving on to lab work. She's a botanist. Um, and, like, the travels that she has to take um, while working uh, in that field. And it's also a memoir of her, I think she has bipolar disorder um, and how that has affected her um, her work. If you listen to this book on audio, like, I really, oh, really recommend it because she reads it. So good. And the points where she's talking in the book about, like, her breakdowns that she has throughout her life, um, she just, like, gets all teary and you can – and, like, her voice is cracking. It's such an emotional experience. But the book is also about her partnership with Bill. Bill is her best friend and her lab partner and – such a mess. <laughs> Bill is such a 
such a character. And I know he's like real and out there somewhere in the world right now. And Bill, <laughs> we all love you and like want you to find happiness. But like he lives in a van down by the river. And all he cares about is, you know, the roots on these plants they're studying. Um, he has, he doesn't take care of himself at all. Like he's just a mess of a brainy. He's like that archetypal sloppy scientist kind of person who's like very meticulous in his work but a complete disaster everywhere else and hope and bill are definitely soulmates like they are definitely you know this there's deep abiding affection and love and respect for each other but there's no romance at all i don't know bill's story but like hope gets married and like has a kid and you know i think bill was like her best man at her wedding or something like that but their relationship is so fascinating and we really need more books about um, those kind of platonic relationships, especially professional ones uh, between men and mm-hmm. women. So that is Lab Girl by Hope Jaren. I had a really tough time with this. And I like I went back through reading spreadsheets of the last like several years and I can't identify a novel that I've mm. read that has a platonic, a male-female platonic relationship in it. Maybe there was one, but I think this is a, an area that's really underserved. Um, and I know like for both of us, Amanda, like we both have extremely close friendships with dudes that we count among our best friends. And it's frustrating to not see that um, reflected back in artwork and back in fiction. Um, so I went to the best book about friendship that I have ever read. Um, it's about friendships between women. It's called She Matters, A Life in Friendships by Susanna Sonnenberg. This is an essay collection, and each one, each essay, is about a different friendship from Sonnenberg's life, um, from childhood all the way on up. Um, There are, you know, stories about mistakes that she made that ended friendships, mistakes that other people made that ended friendships, friendships that are resilient and have come back, like that have gone through the ringer together and that have come back from difficult experiences, how friendships change in motherhood, in grief, um, how your friendships morph as your career takes off or someone else's career takes off, like the unexpected friendships that she forms with, um, with other women. And she gets to like, there's not in her life. There's not one soulmate friend. There have been many. Um, And even these friendships that have ended, even the ones that were painful, she holds on to as still having been beautiful and important and part of how she was shaped as a human. Um, It's just a really lovely, very emotionally honest reflection. She owns her own part in the, like her own stuff. Um, When things don't go well, she owns up to like how she factored into that, the role that she played in relationships breaking or in testing them. Uh, And, you know, especially like in 2018, which has been the year of books about the ways that women are angry and are bonding over rage, which is also super real and valid. Um, I've gone back to She Matters a couple of times just to dip into this really nice place of connection um, and of thinking about the women in my life that fit these roles. Um, I think that you can also take the stories that she tells and adapt them. Um, It will draw out your own thinking about all of your friendships, um, those with people of the same gender and different genders. So you can kind of get to the like sort of full platonic idea there. Um, But it's just really lovely and wise. and, um, And I just loved it. I've gone back to it several times over the years. So that's She Matters, A Life and Friendships by Susanna Sonnenberg. And that's our show. 
Woohoo! I survived my first get you booked. You did. Thank you for pinch hitting. It was so hard. <laughs> Jen had to like go out of town for work at the last minute, and I was like, I cannot find a guest. I can't. Rebecca, <laughs> save me. I am really happy to be here. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We will not be back next week because of the holidays, so we'll see you all in January. Thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I am on Instagram mostly at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where can the people find Rebecca? I am also on Instagram mostly at Rebecca Shinsky, which is S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. And just fair warning, it's like 95% dog pictures right now. Yeah, they're used to that from me. So. <laughs> like all of my stories are just my dog doing random crap. All right. We'll talk to you all in 2019. Have a good one. 